Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. It is so good to see you. My name is Jeremy, and I'm one of the pastors here at Coastway. And for those of you who are in the room, those of you who are joining us online, no matter where you are, welcome to you. There's a few things. If you are new, here's what we would want you to know. First of all, we are a new church, in case you can't tell. And as a new church, we started back in September. We're just getting started. We believe the best is yet to come. And we're made up of everyday, ordinary men, women, and children who think a lot of the good news of the gospel. Uh, Many, in fact, moved from three different cities in the state of North Carolina to start Coastway. Others have since met us here, and we're off to a phenomenal start. And the whole, the whole purpose of our church starting is so that more people in more places would have more opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the good news of the gospel. The second thing that we would want for you to know is that we're genuinely glad that you are joining us for Christmas with Coastway. You know, I, let's, let's get real. You got to be a person of vision to show up to a borrowed building on a university campus on Christmas Eve for a church service. Either that, maybe I, I, I'm going to assume the best. Maybe you're related to somebody who is a person of vision and they just said, hey, I need you to come to this thing. I need you to be with me whenever we're, we're doing this thing on Christmas Eve. But regardless of, of why you're here, how you got here, whether you're unchurched, whether you're dechurched, whether you're looking to be rechurched, here's what we hope. We hope that this experience is going to help you have a more meaningful relationship with God and possibly a, a more meaningful relationship with Coastway. And, you know, here's, here's what we tend to do with the Christmas season. I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to tell on all of us. I'm going to clear the air so that we can all just be transparent uh, on Christmas Eve. We tend to sentimentalize Christmas. We tend to sentimentalize Christmas to the point to where we actually miss out on the significance of Christmas. And so just to help us all see the significance, I put together a very sophisticated uh, but short Christmas survey. So group participation is a good thing as we go through this. So the first question on this survey is who is done with all of your Christmas shopping? Uh, I, I hope, uh, you know, I, I don't even think that Amazon can bail you out of this. If you have not finished your Christmas survey, we're probably going to have our care team come and lay hands on you. Actually, the CDC wouldn't like that. We won't do that. But we're going to pray for you uh, because you're going to need uh, a miracle on whatever your street is. Uh, otherwise, you know, somebody might not get a gift. Uh, who has watched a Christmas movie already? Maybe multiple Christmas movies. Okay, so we did, we did a, a survey with our team, and we just asked this question. I didn't know that it was going to get this rowdy. I honestly didn't. But we asked this question, what is the best Christmas movie ever? And uh, I'll just go ahead and tell you the people have spoken. You know, it's just like, how do you get such high-level research for your sermons? Well, I ask our team. That's how. Okay, so uh, the best Christmas movie ever, according to Coastway Church, is The Grinch. Who stole Christmas? So we, we voted for the Grinch, okay? And then there was a close runner-up, Christmas Vacation. Yeah, it came in real nice. And so there's a few honorable mentions. It's a Wonderful Life, uh, and yes, Die Hard. Yes, I said Die Hard. It is a Christmas movie. Uh, let me let me ask you this: uh, What about who has a scented Christmas candle? Anybody into Christmas candles? Okay, I think we have something called like Frosted Forest in our in our house. But I was just thinking about what if Bath and Body Works comes out with an original Christmas. Uh, scent collection from the first Christmas ever. It's just like, over here we have manure. Over here we have placenta. Over here we have barnyard. And some of you are just like, I'll take that barnyard. It's just like, well, hey, you do you. But uh, we we get Christmas candles. And then it's like, who has ever, this is when it's about to get really real. So get ready. 
Who has ever been to a real-life church nativity play before? Okay, bonus points if you've been in one of those plays, all right? So I was just thinking about the different types and stripes of people of faith and how we interact with these nativities. Uh, You know, I was thinking about all of our Presbyterian friends, because we know that you're smarter than the rest of us, and we know that you are predestined to be the wise men. There it is. But then there was that whole point when you're just like, um, I've got to physically bow. I have, I have some issues with that. So then you're just like, you're like tapping out. And then there's the, the, our Pentecostal friends. You know, there was no obvious way for you to be the Holy Spirit. So what you wanted to be is you want to be the angels. Okay, it's just like we need the angels in the nativity. And then Methodists, I don't know what it was about the Methodists and the, like the, the middle-aged uh, Methodist men always were jockeying to be Joseph. I don't know what it was about Joseph that was just so uh, attractive. And then it's just like the Baptists. Okay, let me talk about the Baptist for a minute, you just didn't even care. You were just like, I'm going to dress my kids up like shepherds. I'm going to get a towel out of the closet, put it over their head, dress them up as a shepherd because I heard there was a potluck in the fellowship hall because I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to make my way all, uh, all the way over here. And you know, I know it's a, it's a silly survey, but here's the real question. The real question of Christmas is, do you see the significance? Do you see that Christmas is about more than not going to hell? Do you see that Christmas is about more than carols, cocoa, and candles? Do you see that Christmas is an invitation to live through a baby who was born to die? And you might just sit back and think, oh, you know what, I've heard this before. You know, what, what does this message of a God who, who comes and is born in a manger, who dies for sinners, and then apparently he rises again. What's the significance of that for like the everyday lives of men, women, and children who are living in Myrtle Beach, visiting Myrtle Beach, watching online? Like I've got practical stuff to worry about. You know, I've got actual like real things that are waiting on me when I leave this service, actually things that are on my mind. Why should that message hold weight in my mind and in my life? And I'll just put it to you this way. If I were to tell you that someone got you a really nice gift, it's like, okay, I saw some of you perk up. You're just like a real gift. Now we're talking. If someone got you a really nice gift, you would be like, oh, you spent money on me. You spent time on me. You were thinking about me. Hmm, A gift for me? So you would would at least pay attention and you would take the time to uh, receive the gift. Right, And then, you know, some of the skeptics in the room, you might be like, hey, are you trying to hoodwink me? Was this like one of those white elephant re-gifts from Grandma Lois's closet? I don't know if I'm into all that. But no, 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 here's what this gift is. This gift has your name on it. If I were not just tell you, hey, this, this, this gift looks nice, but this gift has your name on it, you would be like, what's in that box? What, what is that gift all about? And what I want to tell you is that the gift is all about God giving you His first, His best and His only, to buy you back, to bring you back. And you're just like, why is that significant? Well, you've probably heard the verse, John 3, 16. What does it say? For God so loved that He gave. The the, the heart of the gift is in the heart of the giver. And what we see is that Christmas, what is Christmas all about? Well, Christmas is all about the greatest giver giving the greatest gift that, ha- that could ever be received. And here's what's amazing about this gift. It's offered to you. It's offered to all people. And this gift, who is it from? Who is this giver that we're talking about? Well, th- this giver is the one who created you. This giver is the one who cares 
about your future. This giver is the one who covers all of your failures. So here's what I want to do. I want to show you from Scripture the significance of Christmas. So whether it's on your app, in your lap, or on the screens, join me in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 8 through 20, and what we're going to see is how should we respond to Christmas? And I just, I know, I know you got a lot on your mind. I know you got a lot of stuff that you're thinking about. I know you got your list internally. So I'm going to keep it really simple today. Well, there has not been a whole lot that has changed in 2,000 years about how we are called to respond to Christmas. It's humbling how God is still using a bunch of lowly shepherds to school us on how to respond to Him. And that's what Luke chapter 2 is. The scene unfolds in an unlikely place among some unlikely people, and it's so familiar. And that's how we lose the beauty of it. I mean, this is like, who watched the Charlie Brown Christmas before? Okay, this is a Charlie Brown Christmas, Linus on the stage, dressed up as a shepherd, familiar. This is mom or dad uh, reading the Christmas story before you can open presents. And all the kids are just like rolling their eyes. It's just like, okay, I would love to be spiritual, but I really <laughs> want to get to the, the presents. Can we just go ahead and move on to the good part? But before we go on, I want you to uh, look at the story through a very specific lens. And that lens is that the shepherds are not the heroes. You know, what we do is we tend to venerate Mary, venerate Joseph, venerate the wise men, who they actually didn't come for a couple of years, so they wouldn't have even been at the nativity. We venerate the shepherds, the, the, the cows, the chickens, the donkeys, and we miss the main, the main point. The shepherds are not the heroes. Here's, here's what you need to understand about the shepherds. They're the ones being rescued. And what is it that we have in common with the shepherds? We also need to be rescued. And the second thing that I would encourage you to see is that all of us are responding to Christmas. No response is a response. Whether you realize it or not, we're all responding to Christmas. And so what I hope to show you is how the shepherd's response to Jesus is the right response to Jesus. And so here it is. Here's just the sermon in a sentence you know, in case for some reason you got to log off or you got to leave out. I hope you don't, but I just want to go ahead and give this to you so that you can know the significance of Christmas is to trust and to treasure Jesus. To trust and to treasure. Verse 8, let's take a look. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So something to know about a shepherd. If you ended up as a shepherd, it was a sure sign that you had failed. It was a sure sign that you weren't pretty. It was a sure sign that maybe you, you didn't graduate. It was a sure sign that you were on the fringes of society, that you were an outcast. So this is the lowest of the low. In verse 9, amazingly, an angel of the Lord... Who's, what's an angel? An angel is a messenger from God, uh, for God with a message from God. That's all that an angel is. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And what was their response? They were filled with great fear. So if you walk in church circles long enough, you start speaking what we call Christianese. Christianese is this church talk that everyday people like don't even understand what it means. And one of those buzzwords that we use a lot is the glory of God, but we don't explain it. But the glory of God is very simple. You see, the glory of God is God's goodness and His greatness gone public. 
And you're not going to see the glory of God any more clearly than in the virgin birth on a violent cross and through a vacant tomb. Let me talk about this virgin birth. The glory of God, it's His greatness gone public. Why? Because God did not need us to conceive His Son. He created without us. He conceived without us, out of nothing. And this shows us the greatness of God that He doesn't need us. But where's the goodness of God? It's that He was still born. (laughs) That, That He was born in a manger. And in that manger, Him coming down to us, even though He doesn't need us, it says that He wants us. And that's the glory of the law of the Lord. It's that He's great. He doesn't need us. He's good. He wants us. Verse 10, And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for the educated, the, the, the pretty, the, the strong, the qualified. No, it just says for all people, no qualifiers. And so here's the, the hope from this news of the angel is that we just read the solution to every fear that you will ever face. And what is it? It's the good news of the gospel. And let me show you just one example that is really obvious in what the angel is saying. You see, one of the moments in life when we're most likely to be afraid is when we run the risk of being exposed by someone who's greater than us. So I'll give you a few for instances for everyday life. So let's say that you're a parent and you're insecure. Uh, you're, you're afraid that you're not doing everything that maybe is in the best interest of your child or everything that you should be doing, and you get around a great parent. And I mean, they're just like crushing it. You know, their kids listen, they eat their greens, they go to bed on time. And what happens when you get around that great parent is you get afraid. You're just like, man, I, you know, I can't get my kids to listen. It's just like, I can't get my kids to eat what they're supposed to do. You get afraid because you're in the presence of one who is greater. Or let's say that you get around somebody who's fit and fine and you feel fat and frumpy. So what happens? Well, I'm afraid. It's just like, I, 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 you know, they're pretty, I'm ugly, and I'm exposed. Or, or what about when you get around somebody who's just like so spiritual, and you know, they just like, they, you know, they know what the book of Leviticus is all about, and they can like quote verses from the Bible. You're just like, bro, I cuss more than I pray. And it's like, I am, I, I'm, I'm afraid. And this is what it's like to be in God's presence. And the shepherds knew it. They had encountered one who was categorically greater than them. And so I could see one of these lowly shepherds like grabbing his favorite sheep, pulling him over here and be like, come over here, Rufus. It's been a good run, but we are over. They're afraid. They think they're done. But here's here's the gospel. The gospel is clearly seen by how God uses his power, what he does with his greatness. And the determining factor in whether or not we should fear people who are greater than us is determined by what they do with their greatness. And notice, what does God do with His greatness? Well, the angel tells us, I bring you good news of great joy, not great judgment. It's why we sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. We don't cry judgment, we sing joy. It's why we sing, O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Loved ones, understand, God is for you. He is for you you. He is not against you. You see, what I love about the shepherds is just that they're everyday people. You know, they didn't have a lot of money. You know, they, they fought with their spouse. They couldn't get their kids to listen. They struggled with some, some guilty pleasures and some habits that weren't healthy. They were not the most honest people. 
Some of them were ex-cons. Have you ever had that moment whenever you're driving? I hope, I hope you've not had this moment. I hope you don't have this moment anytime soon. But you're driving, and you are just going way too fast. And then you get pulled over. And just like, boom, in that moment, you know, I was going too fast. I was going too fast. In that moment, what you have to do is you just have to say, I- I'm guilty. You-, you got me. And that's the shepherds in this moment. They're guilty. They got pulled over, and they know it. But the angels were announcing What was it? Was it guilt? No, it was grace. They were announcing how Jesus was not born to condemn us. He was born to cover us. He was born to cleanse us. If you keep reading past John 3.16, you see that the Son of Man was born not to condemn the world, but to save the world through Himself. And so the, the gospel is really simple. It's good news of great joy. It's for all people. But what is, that, what is that news? Well, it's, here's for, for, for good news to be really good, it has to be against the backdrop of something really bad. Uh, an, an alternative that wouldn't be preferred. And so here's the bad news. The bad news is Jesus died because of you. That means you're guilty. But here's, the, here's what makes it good. Jesus died instead of you. That means there is grace. So Christmas shows us what to do with our fears. This is a, just a healthy way to think about it is like if you think about a, a kid who blows it, a kid who just makes a really dumb decision. So there's one of two ways that they could relate to their father in that moment. That kid could say, I blew it. My dad's going to kill me. Or I, I blew it. I've got to find my dad. That's what the gospel is all about. It's I blew it. I messed up. But there is a compassionate father who is ready and waiting to cover me instead of condemning me. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a advisor, no, uh, a teacher, no, a plumber, no, a savior, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. What I love about this word haste is that it communicates hope. This is the first time in a long time that these lowly shepherds have had anything to be excited about, anything to celebrate, anything to share with others. And so they're in a hurry because they have hope. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Verse 17, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The significance of Christmas is not in the works of the shepherds. It is in the response of the shepherds. And we see two very clear and compelling responses that were significant for them on that night 
and are significant for you on this night. And the first is this. Christmas is about trusting Jesus. Let me show you where we see this. Look at verse 15. It says, let us go over to Bethlehem. And it says, and they went with haste. So what this meant was that the shepherds had to leave their livelihood. You see, if there were no sheep in the pasture, there would be no food in the pantry. If there were no sheep in the pasture, there would be no money in the bank. There would be no paycheck. There would be no provision. These shepherds depended on the sheep for their life source in so many ways. So this was a huge deal. You know, how important would something have to be for you to have to just get up from work, walk out of your job at the risk of losing your job early? And some of you might say, well, I'll take any excuse to walk out on my job. It's like, it sounds like you need to come back for another sermon. That's for another time. But what this means is that their trust was being transferred from one hope to a greater hope. You see, the shepherds had plenty of problems. Do you have some problems in your life this Christmas? You could identify with these shepherds. But on this night, their problems were eclipsed by prophecy. A prophecy is a promise. It's what we see over and over again in the Old Testament, is that God promised that He was going to send a sinless Savior who would be our sacrificial substitute. And on the cross and in our place, He would bear our sins, the wrath of God, so that all that's left for us is grace. All that's left for us is mercy. And you see, the the thing about these shepherds is they probably couldn't read, but they probably could remember. And whenever the angels were making this glorious announcement, their memories were rushing back to this promise, this prophecy that was made 700 years prior by a prophet named Micah. And it goes like this in Micah chapter 5. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So these lowly shepherds knew that promise. They had probably talked about it out in the pastures nights before. Like, what do you think that means? That a a compassionate king and a great and mighty ruler is going to come from Bethlehem. Like, what, what is that all about? Well, I want you to see that on this starry night, trust was being transferred. The shepherds transferred their trust from those uh, sheep that were in the pasture to the Lamb of God that was in the manger, to those sheep in the pasture that was their earthly provision, to the Lamb of God in the manger that would be their eternal provision. And what you see that is so encouraging is that you see guilty shepherds going to a good shepherd in hope. They're truly trusting Jesus. And here's what we need to understand about trusting Jesus is it involves absolute dependence. You want to know what has your trust? Let me ask you this. It's very simple. What do you lean on and look to for life? For happiness? For meaning? For significance? Whatever that thing is where your hope and your heart naturally flow, that is your functional Savior. 
It doesn't matter what we say with our lips. What matters is what we do with our life. And a big part of this for the shepherds, it's right there in the pasture. And for you, maybe it's a person who you just treat like a life raft. And you're drowning. And you look to them for hope and help and salvation. And you find your identity. You find your meaning in that person or that relationship. Or maybe it's a possession that you just can't do without. Maybe it's popularity and projecting this Instagram image that has this this gloss of perfection, but inside you know you're so insecure and you just want to be accepted. Whatever it is, loved ones, it can't save you. It can't save you from selfishness. It can't save you from the sting of death. Only Jesus surely can. And that's why Christmas is an invitation to transfer trust from mankind to the manger from self to God. And I, I, you might be thinking that maybe your inner lawyer is rising up and you're just like, so let me get this straight. Are you calling me a sinner? And I would say, uh, first of all, yes. And second of all, the reason you don't like it is because you're a sinner. So if you would think about, just for a moment, uh, a, a young child. Okay, who in here, who's, uh, parents who have had kids, grandparents, uh, who taught your child to lie? Who taught your child to steal? Who taught your child to hit, to demand, to to be selfish? Well, that was instinctive. Nobody had to teach. You had to teach them not to do those things. And we're just like, are you calling me a child? No, I'm just saying that we never really change. You know, we say, oh, that's childish. What we do is we just get more advanced and more sophisticated with the ways that we steal, hit, lie, cheat, take, and are selfish. It is intrinsic down to our core. We're not much different than a selfish child, than a sinful child. We, we still do all these things, and what God says is He says the penalty for that is death. I'm afraid we don't understand how hopeless, how hopeless of a condition we are in because of sin. Here's what I think we, we are uh, a lot like, we're too much like Cousin Eddie off of Christmas Vacation. Let me tell you, if you've seen Christmas Vacation, here's what we're like with God, is you've got that moment in Walmart whenever... Clark and Cousin Eddie are walking down the aisles, and uh, Clark says to Cousin Eddie, he says, hey, listen, Cousin Eddie, me and Helen, we were talking, and you know, we just know you can't afford to like really do a whole lot for the kids, and we, we, we just want to help, help out. And uh, Cousin Eddie, he's just like, oh, Clark, that's, that's mighty nice of you, mighty nice of you, uh, but just understand, if you're going to do that for me, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something real nice for you. And so here's what we do. We, we look to God and we say, oh God, you know, God, that's mighty, mighty fine of you to die on the cross for my sins and all that stuff. But I just want you to understand, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm going to do something real nice for you. You're not going to regret blessing me. I'm going to bring a lot to this whole scenario. And you're going to, you know, you're going to be glad you got me. You, you are. You're just going to be glad that you got me. Uh, God doesn't need you. He wants you. And that's why we're less like, we, we ought to be less like Cousin Eddie and we ought to be more like those foolish men and women who, for whatever reason, go on those crazy survivor wilderness shows and they get dropped in like a remote place, like on some island where, you know, they've, they've got to like hunt for all their food and they've got to figure out how to build a fire. And then after a lot of suffering and a lot of striving, they just get eliminated. They're like, I can't do this. I can't survive on my own. And so they have to call in this helicopter that comes in and does what they can't do for themselves rescue them. And if we would see the, the, the condition of our souls more like this, 
then we would understand Jesus is not our life coach. He did not come to give you good advice. He did not come to give you a few minor tune-ups. Jesus is not our plumber. He does not just, I'll call you, you come in, do the dirty work, then you leave. Don't call me, I'll call you if I need something. Jesus is not our fitness instructor who comes in with some great tips on keto and how to shed that corn tummy once for all. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our substitute. Jesus took our place on the cross. And in that manger, the shepherds saw a Savior. A Savior who would take their place and take their punishment to buy them back, to bring them back. And what we have to understand and the point when Christmas becomes more than sentimental is when we look in that manger and we see the same. We see an unrelenting love rushing toward unlovely people. And you're sitting there and you're just like, I've heard this before. It's not changed me. Okay, fine and fair. I think, I think we've heard this whole Jesus came to save you. Uh, here's, here's what you might not have heard or understood is that Christmas is not just about trusting. Christmas is also about treasuring. And the reason why it just doesn't make sense why your relatives love Jesus so much or why that person in your life is always talking about Jesus is because maybe you agree mentally with the trust, but you don't agree functionally, emotionally, relationally with Jesus as your treasure. And that's why I want to tell you Christmas is about treasuring Jesus. What does it look like to truly treasure Jesus? Well, the shepherds show us. Take a look at verse 17. They made known this child. What does this tell us? Well, this tells us that treasuring looks like witnessing. To be a witness is to bear witness to the truth, uh, to, to something good, to something great. And there is an original series that was recently released called The Chosen, and it's a replay of Jesus' life and ministry, and it's very vivid, it, it's, it's very faithful. And there was an episode on The Chosen of the shepherds in this scene. And if you've not seen it, I encourage you to watch it. But there's this moment when the shepherds come in, and what would you do if the first people in the delivery room were a bunch of ex-cons? And they wanted to hold your baby. Mama's in the room, you'd be like, no, 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 back back off. (laughs) Slow down, don't pull up. And these shepherds approach and they come and they they like reach their hands out to hold baby Jesus. And one of these shepherds who's just down on his luck and has been judged by the religious leaders of the day and turned away, he holds Jesus. And there is hope. There is amazement. There is wonder. In that shepherd's eyes for the first time, maybe in a long time, maybe since he himself was a child. And he, he gently gives the baby back to, to Joseph and he turns to walk out of that barn. But before he turns, he looks back and he says something. I just can't get this out of my mind. People must know. People must know. And I want to I want to just address the person who's here, and there's people in your life who are often talking about the joy of Jesus, often talking about the treasure that is Jesus, and you, you hear it and you're just like, yeah, 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 fine and good, let's move on to the more important, more practical things. And here's, I just want to maybe, maybe bring into focus why they want to do that all the time. 
why they just can't stop talking, can't stop thinking, can't stop celebrating what Jesus has done in their life, it's because grace has come home and it's personal. Grace is only amazing if you first realize that you're a wretch. And it's when we realize that we're a wretch that grace comes in and we want to share it with other people. And so it, medically, just think about this, it, 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 would, it would not make sense for them not to talk to you about it. And here's why. Medically, if you have the solution to sickness, you have a responsibility to get that solution to the sick. You have a responsibility to bring that into the places and spaces where people who are sick. And what, what the scriptures teach, what Jesus teaches, is that sin is the greatest sickness. And that it separates us from him. And it sends us to a Christless eternity. And, and to love is to witness. To love is to offer the solution to the sickness that we ourselves have been cured of only by the grace of God. You might reason, well, I'm already a Christian. They should just leave me alone. If you are, I would just say that's not a great response. Because a Christian is someone who not only trusts, but also treasures Jesus. And to be a Christian is not just to trust, to fill out a card or walk an aisle or talk to a pastor one time way back then, but not have any sense of treasuring in your life and in your heart in this moment. To be a Christian is not just to trust, it's to treasure. You think about the concept of buried treasure is actually pretty ironic, isn't it? Because the fact is, you don't bury what you treasure. You show it off. You, you, you post about it. You talk about it. You sing about it. So let me just ask you an honest question. You know, do you talk about the grace of God with other people? Has it become so personal that it can no longer remain private? And if not, if it seems awkward to you, if it seems strange to you, could it be that Christ has yet to become your treasure. And what I love about Christmas is that it's, a, it's an invitation for the grace of God to come alive in your heart. Some for the first time, for others for a second time, for another time. So to treasure Jesus is to witness, is to talk about it. But next, verse 20, they returned glorifying and praising God. So here we see treasuring Jesus looks like worshiping Jesus. Yes, the Christian life is about dependence, but it's also about desire. You see, truly treasuring Jesus means He is at the center of your desires. From the way you suffer, never without hope, as long as you're with Him. To what you seek, it's no longer power, it's no longer popularity, it's no longer a possession. Now, it's a person. To the way that you serve, it changes this. How free of a person would you be if you could serve people and it not be a transaction? And it not be, uh, I'm going to give to you so that I can get from you. Instead, it could become, and this is why Christian freedom is the truest freedom, is I have been given so much that now all I have is the responsibility to give. And the more that I give, the more that I'm getting from God, He's pouring His grace into my life. I think this is why the psalmist said in Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Loved ones, it's as if God is saying everything you're seeking, all your delights, all your dreams, all your desires are only going to be found and only going to be fulfilled in that baby that was born to die. It's why Augustine, the early church father, said our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. And all these shepherd boys could talk about, think about was this baby 
born to die. You see, they knew that this was the one that Isaiah talked about in, in the prophecy of old. In Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. Those shepherds saw themselves as straying sheep. And the, uh, we've all turned to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When they showed up to that manger in that moment, they saw the Lamb of God. They saw the one who's, who would take their iniquity. You know, it's interesting. We read about how Jesus was wrapped in swaddling cloths. We think, oh, isn't that cute? Isn't that cozy? What a good mama Mary must have been. But what you need to understand is this is significant. This is not the, the last time that Jesus would be wrapped in cloths. Because it was out of the womb that he was wrapped in swaddling cloths, but it was also into a tomb that he would be wrapped in grave cloths. Again, why? What was he doing there? What was a king come to reign doing in a crypt? Well, he was buying you back and he was bringing you back. Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And here's what I want to show you. This, this Christmas, Jesus, he can, he can be the direction of your heart because you were first the desire of his. And so I, I think about a gift. And I don't know, maybe you've got a gift that you're really excited to give to somebody this Christmas. We, there is a gift with much assembly required that we are giving to our daughter that she's going to see tomorrow. And there's going to be wonder, there's going to be excitement, there's going to be amazement. And I just think about how every waking moment and non-working uh, minute has been given to assembling this gift. Okay, so let's hope she likes it. Yeah, I think she's going to. But when she gets that gift, it's going to be so amazing. And if me, as her earthly father, feels this way about her receiving an earthly gift, how much does your heavenly father feel about you receiving the eternal gift? How much more does he feel about you taking this gift that he has given you, not pushing it to the side, not ignoring it, but opening it up, receiving it, and enjoying it, and saying, this is more beautiful than I ever dared behold. This is better than anything that I had ever previously enjoyed. And here's the good news about this gift. It has your name on it. It's offered to you right now. And the worst gift is a gift that goes unopened. The way that you receive this gift, it's as simple as A, B, C. A, first of all, you admit that you are helpless and you are hopeless to save yourself from your sin apart from that baby. You admit it. Paul says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life. So you admit. And B stands for you believe. Uh, you, you truly believe that Jesus died because of you. You're guilty, but you truly believe that he died instead of you. There's grace. And C, you confess, Jesus, I want you to be the king. I want to transfer trust from my life to yours from the things of this world to the things that are of your kingdom. I want you to be my king. And Jesus, I want you to be my rescuer. You know, I've, I've been trying to functionally rescue myself all my life, but for the first time, I feel like it's, it's, it's the word is living in me. The word is breathing in me. The word is calling me to recognize that I can't do it on my own. And so I want you to be my rescuer. And I want to live the rest of my life trusting you and treasuring you. And so 
If you find yourself in that place, there's a couple of things that I just want to encourage you to do. I'm going to ask our care team just to go ahead and make their way to the back right now. Um, I want to encourage you to tell someone. To tell someone. To bring your real sin and your real self in the presence of a real God. And be honest. Take off the mask. Take off the costume. And recognize the, 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 the price that Jesus paid for your brokenness. You know, he, 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 was, he was glad to do it. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. And so tell someone. Tell, And I, I think it would be best if you told the person who brought you. If you're here and you're like, hey, you know what, I, I, need, I need this. Can you talk me through more of what this is about? Uh, and for the person who is a Christ follower, here's what I would encourage. Tell someone. Tell someone. Who will you tell? People must know. So in this moment, I'm going to ask you just to stand to your feet. Um, stand to your feet right now and bow your heads and open your hearts. And if you need to tell someone right now that you're transferring trust, you can make your way to the back or you can just, hey, have that talk time with the person who brought you afterwards. But let's pray right now. Father, I, I, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would bring heaven down and touch our hearts. Nothing happens until you get our desires. No change happens until you are truly our treasure. And so, Father, for the men, women, and children who are here in this moment, maybe somebody's watching online and they're transferring trust, God, would you, would you rush in and would you surround them with a newfound sense and awareness of your presence like never before. Lord, let them see in that manger what the shepherd saw in that manger. A baby from a virgin birth who would take on a violent cross and then arise in a victorious from a victorious tomb. God, we, we look to you. We live for you. Christmas is all about you. Have your way and have your will. In Jesus' name.